0: You are listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. This talk was given at 29 West Topahocken Street. For more information, visit us at circleofhope.net. We have a congregation in New Jersey. I think most of you know that we have we have four congregations, three of them in Philadelphia and one in South Jersey. And every time I go to New Jersey, except for when we go when I go to that building, There it is. I don't know if you can all see that, but that's our building. Anytime I go to Jersey, anywhere else but this building, I always get lost or or I get off track in some way. And inevitably I end up using a jug handle, which I learned is called the Jersey left, if you didn't know that, uh, because you have to go right to go left. It's very confusing. Or I find myself at a traffic circle which, if you're not sure where you're going, it is very hard to know where to get off. And did you know that, that New Jersey had, at one point, had a total of 101 traffic circles? And 44 of them were part of state roads. That's way too many. Uh, they have shrunk that number. The Department of Transportation has phased them out. Um, but there's still a lot in New Jersey, and I always get confused. Uh, again, because if you don 't know which uh, which way to get off, you can keep going around and around, <laughs> but everyone is everyone else is like merging on or getting off, and it 's this endless loop um, that 's disorienting and anxiety producing if you especially if you don 't know where you 're going so I was thinking about these traffic circles this week after talking to some new folks in um, my new cell. We just started a new cell on Thursday mornings at 10.30 in Maniunk. Here's a picture of that crew. And we were all just getting to know each other. And it came up how differently people understand and interpret the Bible. Protestant Christians in particular have a long history of trying to get the Bible right. And the road, that road has led to a kind of endless traffic circle uh, with very different offshoots of, like, denominations and sub denominations that disagree about how significant portions of the Bible should be understood. And you can see how this plays out when you search uh, churches in our area and, and see just how many choices there are. You don't have to go to Jersey for that. Unfortunately, this pursuit of getting the Bible right has not led to greater certainty about what the Bible means. And someone in in my cell cited uh, problems with the book of Genesis, for example, and how hard it is to find a place where you can ask questions about whether or not the Bible talks about the past accurately, Uh, Introducing questions or doubt to a Christian faith that is built on certainty of the Bible can threaten the whole foundation. So if, if we are dead set on what we think is certain, we actually create less room for faith and trust. I think that in all of its messy diversity, the Bible models trust in God that does not rest on whether we are able to be clear and certain about what to believe. So doubt can be an instrument that God uses as God relates to us. And I didn't even have to say all of that to this new cell um, for them to start getting it. And I'm excited that this is just the beginning, uh, and already we're working on having the dialogue with each other. Uh, The whole church has been talking for. I didn't have a blank slide in there. I'm going to leave it at their lovely faces. (laughs) The whole church has been talking for the last eight weeks about what it means to live as the new creation in Christ, because we're trying to develop our imaginations and our hearts for the fullness of who we're meant to be in a world that's still not in its fullness. We're moving through what is to what is more, or, or not quite yet, but we know something about it and we're trying to live into it. Tonight, the movement I want to talk about is from seeing to believing. I think that this is the movement from certainty to trust. Um that I was just describing. When we're looking for the comfort and predictability of certainty, there is an invitation uh, to relationship with God that is actually built on trust. So whether we are talking about the Bible or life in general, uh, we tend to want to get it right. We collect data and weigh the options. We're all just trying to do the right thing all the time, and that's really hard to figure out. What is the right thing? Even for folks who are not trying to be religious, uh, they experience ex- uh, anxiety of getting caught in the, tra- the traffic circle, so to speak. Because again, we all want to do the right thing. We all have big decisions to make all the time. What What am I going to make my whole life about? What, what if I commit to this house or this neighborhood? Where are my kids going to go to school? A lot of anxiety of getting it right, uh, excuse me, the anxiety of getting it right can add a lot of pressure to these kinds of decisions that we make. Steve and I did this when we were considering going to Greece uh, this past year to visit my sister. She lives there with her husband and her son, and we had been talking about going to visit for a while. We toyed with the idea of just the two of us going, or bringing the kids. Uh, We weighed when we might go, looking for a time in the summer when the kids are out of school, or considered who would watch them if it was just he and I that went, how long we would stay. And Steve had been checking the ticket deals for months, watching. They were definitely cheaper off-season, not during the summer. But my sister didn't want us to come during the summer anyway. So when we, we went around and around about this, and I'm using this example just so you know because it is not a life-changing decision, and it, it still felt like a traffic circle. It still tapped into these deeper things for me about money and time and my kids and what's best for them. Any of you who have kids in the Philadelphia school district know that time out of school is a really big deal. Unexcused absences um, can affect your child's ability to get into a special admit school or apply or transfer to another middle school or high school. The education system is complex and inequitable, and I wish that it weren't, um, but it is very real. So the stakes feel pretty high, And uh, there's a lot of pressure. I talked to a bunch of parents even this past week about the pressure they're feeling in the school system. So the night that Steve and I found the tickets, uh, they were buy one, get one free. That felt like confirmation. We're doing this. We're taking the kids, and all four of us are going to go. But the dates in the fine print limited us to um, only going during the school year, not over the summer. So I scoured the student handbook for the details about the attendance policy and what qualifies for excused absences. I talked to other parents who had taken trips uh, to see how they figured it out. Uh, Could this be considered an educational trip? I talked to the school guidance counselor and the principal who unequivocally said, no, this would be an unexcused absence. I asked around about what years your school record, uh, what, what years they use, other schools use when they're looking at your transcripts or whatever, to, when you're applying for your student to go to a different school. I was trying to figure it out from any angle I could. I was worried about making this decision uh, that it would limit our options in the future. In the end, I only really felt peace when we committed to the idea and we bought the tickets. After we bought them, my anxiety dropped, and I started to imagine what was ahead. Making the commitment to doing it was what I needed to do to get out of that loop. And that simple example, um, it's a simple example, but you could probably all think of a time that you were caught up or anxious about making the right decision yourself. And it's easy on the other side of that anxiety to be, um, for me, to be snorkeling in the Aegean Sea with my family, to cast off any of that doubt or fear. I watched my kids uh, soak up the experience and try new things and ask questions about their surroundings in a way that I did not have to worry about their education. I could see them being the kind of people that I want them to be as learners in the world. But it's hard to believe before we get to see the result or without the certainty of the result that we want to see. There's often a disconnect between how we think the trip should go or life should work and how it actually turns out. What happens when we think we should? what should work out doesn't work? What we think we know... Um, produces a crisis of faith? How do we get from the certainty that we long for or even feel entitled to, to trust? And how do we stay there when we don't see the results that we hoped for? The invitation from Jesus is into a relationship of trust. Jesus is teaching us this way all throughout the Gospels. He performed miracles, signs, and wonders so that people around him would see and believe. But he was calling them into a relationship where they didn't need to see to believe. He was calling them to himself. In John chapter 6, uh, Jesus is teaching the crowd until late in the day when they get hungry and he uses what they had to perform a miracle, and he feeds the hungry people. And they start to believe. They start saying, surely this, this is a prophet who has come into the world. Um, after he feeds these 5,000 people, the crowds still follow him to other locations, and they, they're asking him, what sign will you give that we will see and believe you? What what will you do? Our ancestors ate manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave bread from heaven to eat. And then Jesus declared to them. Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me and you still do not believe. They go on in verse, they also ask Jesus, What must we do to do the work that God requires? And Jesus answers, The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. How do we get to this belief without seeing? When sometimes we see, sometimes we don't see. How do we hold on to our faith when we don't feel like the new creation or the world doesn't look like it? when we're asking with the crowds in chapter 6 of John, what must we do to do the works that God requires? Jesus says to us, the work of God is this, believe in the God, in the one that God has sent. I think one of the main ways that we believe is to do our belief. We can only do it for moments, sometimes at first, but those moments are like the new sort of life that starts spreading throughout our whole system. God is working out the new creation in us as we do our belief, as we act on it. Jesus offers us discipleship, not just good vibes. The invitation of Jesus is to follow, to make a decision to trust and a faith built on trust, on a relationship with Jesus, is an embodied one. Living as a new creation is beyond the churn of anxiety. It's a doing in trust. We learn who God is by doing God's stuff, by enacting it. Instead of worrying about doing the right thing all the time or making the right decision, the invitation is to do our trust. For anyone who is in Christ, the old is gone. The new is here. Because we have this relationship with Jesus, that relationship is him giving himself to us. I am the bread of life. You have me. With me, you will never hunger or thirst again. This is about trust in a living relationship with God who feeds us and sustains us with his very self in Christ. So when things don't go the way they should, which I can also say has been the experience of my kids in the public school system, the invitation from Jesus is to come to him, to trust, to feed on what he's offering me as a parent when I'm anxious and worried and circling around and around about what the right thing to do is. How could I have certainty about that anyway? As if I, I, everything I do or don't do for my kids will save them. I can't do that. Jesus is going to have to save them. I can't possibly make all the right decisions for my kids so that the outcome could be the best. The world doesn't even work that way. I'm not counting on... I am, excuse me, I am counting on the new creation where Jesus will save my kids. And this brings us back to the passage that we've been in for the last eight weeks. This is um, 2 Corinthians 5, 16 through 21. When we live in trust as the new creation, we are Christ's ambassadors. We become in him the righteousness of God. That's very different than getting it right. It's not of our own power or control or certainty. It is the power of God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. That is good news. That's, that sends the message of what a reconciled life with God in Christ looks like. So I want to give you a few examples in closing. Rather than relying on absolute either-or thinking, a trusting faith understands that trusting God is a process, and it takes time and practice. The journey doesn't necessarily follow a linear progression. And the unpredictable nature of life is an encounter with God and, and a move ultimately toward God trusting that God is involved in that process. Rather than dividing ourselves up by focusing on things like denominations and doctrinal convictions and side of the aisle and getting it right, a trust-centered faith will see the world humbly, with open and vulnerable eyes. And ourselves, as members and participants, rather than masters of control of certainty. We will see our unfathomable cosmos and the people in our cosmic neighborhood as God's creation, not objects for manipulation. Rather than being quick to settle on final answers to hard questions, a trust-centered faith Will find time to formulate wise questions that respect the mystery of God and call upon God for the courage to sit in those questions for as long as necessary before seeking a way forward. Rather than the acquisition of knowledge to support and defend the faith, a trust centered faith values and honors the wise, those who through experience, and mature spiritual habits have earned the right to lead and are given a central role in nurturing the faith of others, like our cell leaders among us. Rather than defining faithfulness as absolute conformity to authority, a trust-centered faith will value in others the search for true human authenticity. That may take them away from the familiar boundaries of their faith, while trusting that God to be a part of that process in themselves and uh, others, even in those closest to us. The Bible doesn't actually give us certainty, the, the certainty that for which we long. It leads us to work out a relationship of trust. Our community is formed to resist doctrinal certainty that will close out the space needed to work out that relationship and trust with the living God. We try to create a container and an environment of love where trust and faith can flourish. We're trying to create a space where the dialogue of love holds us together, not the right ideas and certainty about them. So when your anxiety stirs up and you find yourself spinning around and around that traffic circle, find someone to talk to in this community. Keep showing up to do your trust, to work out the doing of your belief, even when you aren't sure if you have it. And when you're looking to see all the things that you can be certain about, hear the invitation from Jesus to move into trust. He has given us himself and his body, this community, to sustain your faith and to feed you beyond what you can see right now. Thanks for listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. If you want to talk about it or get connected to a cell, you can find one under our Connect drop-down at circleofhope.net.